I want to show you some stats. Uh, we've, we've done a number of research projects over the last few years. Um, some people get, you know, some people don't get that excited about stats. Uh, but, but I think, I, I do, I, I find them... <laughs> I find, them, I find them helpful because uh, we can, you know, Toby's just talked about, about feeling down, feeling disheartened. Um, we, we've, had no, we've had no picture of, of what's going on in Australia. Most of the literature is, is from America. And, um, and, and, man, if you plant a church in America in, in lots of places, it can just shoot off and grow really fast. And often the people you get up on platforms are the ones who have, uh, have been successful. And, uh, and you, don't hear, you, know, you don't hear the hard stuff that, that Toby's just talked about. You don't hear... Um, you know, how hard it is to persevere and get a church plan happening. Uh, and so the picture in Australia at the moment, if you, look at, if you were to look at 100 people, the average, the, average tri- the average size church in Australia is actually about 70 people and, and probably 50% of churches are actually under, um, under 50. But if you were to grab a snapshot of 100 people, you'd unfortunately only see that six, six weren't in any church five years ago. So uh, the NCLS guys, which you'll hopefully all do the census that's going to happen in a few, a few months, uh, call that newcomer stat. So someone who hasn't been going to church for the last, the last uh, five years. So that represents about 6% of the population. So only, um, only six people um, in the course of that five-year study hadn't been in a church. Um, but if you, look at, um, if you look at a church plant, uh, this is a typical Australian church plant. Uh, kicks off with about 38 people and by the fourth year is about 70. Uh, if you were to look at a Geneva church plant, by about the third year they're generally about 70, um, 71 people. Um, you can see the marked difference. Now, I don't know, some people, some people get discouraged. I, you know, I get discouraged by that sometimes because I know that 70 means you're still searching for sustainability and survivability. Um, but what it, means, what it means is on average 11 people, 11 people who have made commitments for the first time to Jesus. So again, behind those numbers is not feelings. It's actually uh, people who have actually been baptised and you know, just this weekend I've seen photos from, uh, you know, from Salt Church. Three people got baptised there. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw you know, other baptisms. We're going to see and celebrate baptisms over the course of this conference. What it looks like is 11 people who have, for the first time, put their hand up and said, we want to follow uh, Jesus. But across, across church plants across Australia, they're actually reaching the unchurched, so that newcomer figure. So if you look up the top there, the 14% and 19%, that, that makes 33%. So one in three, um, one in three people um, coming to a church plant in Australia haven't been going to church for five years or more or making that new commitment. Now, I, I, kinda, I, do, I, did, I did see these stats at the start and I was a little bit discouraged because uh, I, I, I want to see more people uh, one for Christ. And so 33% still represents you know, loads of people across Australia who, um, who don't know Jesus. I was in Perth on Friday uh, at an evangelism conference that we put together there. Uh, probably in church, I think Steve McAlpine said on any given Sunday, it's probably only 5% of people in, in church, and that includes Catholic churches as well. It's 10% over in the eastern states. Uh, that represents, you know, 95% of the Australian population who, who don't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So we've got, we've got great opportunity. Um, and but Scott, can you just make the connection between this slide and that first slide? So the first slide said 6%. Yep. This is a typical Australian church. Only 6% of people yep. um, are... Six, are new in the last five years. Yeah, so, newcomers, that's so right. So you'd say your typical Australian church is, is 94% of the people have been around for ages and there are not many new people in church. Typical Australian churches are not reaching new people. That's right. They're old too. They're um, on average uh, 52, I okay. think 53. Yep. Sorry. Now yep. you flick, flick to that. That is old, isn't it? It's very, very old, frighteningly old. Uh, 
Now this, you add 14 and 19 together and you get 33, do you? Yeah, that's right. So there's a di- marked difference between 6% and 33%. So Close to you, six times, yep. That's Is that right? Yep. You are the stats man, aren't you? <laughs> that is a remarkable difference. So what that says is that your typical church plant is reaching six times the amount of newer people, which is, um, that's worth rejoicing in, isn't it? Yeah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> and the other thing is, Go back to those other slides. You didn't. You get excited but, about stats too, don't you, Tim? But look, America just looks like they're killing us. So why are we so excited when America's just they, they start bigger, they grow faster? What, what's your point in putting that up there, Scott? Well, <laughs> well this this study this study was actually part of a global study that was taking place in uh, in Canada and America at the same time. So whilst uh, many of you in the room were you know spending half an hour, forty five minutes answering this survey. Uh, pastors in the States are doing it as well. Um, I, I think, well, there's a few things I'm still trying to work out. I think part of it's got to do with our Australian culture, um, perhaps which starts, starts churches um, smaller than, than what they do in America. So I think that, that could be part of the problem. The reality of Australia is that momentum takes a lot longer. Um, you know, it takes probably three or four years to see someone come to Christ. So even in that slide on conversion growth, you know, you'll see that it's five in year three. Uh, you'll see a bunch of resources. I've been asking a number of pastors about developing a mission culture and they've all talked, they've all said the same thing. It takes three or four years to actually develop a culture where people are actually using the language of loving the lost. Um, they're actually having the confidence to have conversations with their mates. Um, it takes time to get your Sunday gathering for some of your systems to, you know, to work that actually start um, hovering over. You make mistakes and, and so it takes time. And so I think that's what, um, that's what that all says, as well as the fact that America's just more evangelical. There are more people in churches. And so, um, I, you know, they build momentum and, and it starts paying off. Can I say what I think you. it means? Yeah, you can. Because yeah. I, I just think that last point you made, Scott, America is a radically different culture from Australia. And so we, you, can, you can see it. There's a huge difference. So, therefore, be careful in trying to follow, uh, read books written in America about how to plant churches in Australia because it's such a different environment, mm. such a different topography so and we've now got the app and so yeah, you can you just go. download australian resources at your fingertips yes good at your fingertips good you done thanks scott let's hear it for scott he's pretty awesome <laughs> he seriously is this there, there is no one like this man no doubt he knows you and you know him he's good to have um, we're going to hear from three of our um, Aussie church planters now. We're going to get them up, three of them, just one at a time, hear a few minutes from them, and then I'm going to fire them a question, and we're going to pray for them. These are three different church planters. Um, there's the first one, Jai. So, Jai, why don't you come on up here? Jai is plant, has planted in a regional area. The second guy we're going to get is Richard, who's in a growth corridor area, and then Matt in an inner city area, if I've described them correctly. So, Jai, I'm going to hand over to you. Give us, give us five minutes on what's going on in Mackay, which is a regional area, and you just share with us a few things, mate, and then I'll fire a question at you, all right? Sure. Sounds good. I've been asked the question, what would we do differently? So is it okay if I kind of reflect on that straight up? Is no, that... don't talk about that. Talk about... No. <laughs> I can go with that. Um, so Mackay, 1,000 k's kind of north of Brisbane. Uh, it's about 80,000 people, regional centre. Um, I'm a planner with Mackay Evangelical Church, or MAKE. Uh, we're a church of about 60 people uh, on an average Sunday, 15 adults, uh, sorry, 45 adults, 15 kids. That's, that's sort of where we're at. Um, the question was put to me, what would we do differently? Uh, I've kind of 
done a bit of soul searching on that question, wrestled it through with uh, mentors and, and others thinking it through. Uh, I mean, we're, we're kind of a, a, we're a smaller church. We, we've seen slow growth. That's, that's our story. Um, and I guess some of you who are uh, just heading into planting might be wondering what's the thing that we could have done differently uh, so that we might have seen fast growth rather than slow growth. Um, I think reflecting on that question, talking to others about it, I just think for us, unless we did something radically different, uh, we did a completely different church planning model, we planted in a different town, I was a different person as a church planner, I, just, I, I don't think it was going to be a, a rapidly fast-growing church, that's just the reality for us. Um, but there is one thing that I think would have been more healthy for us as a church, uh, more helpful and, and might have under God helped us to grow a little bit more quickly. Um, so... What would we do differently? Uh, have more realistic expectations. That's my one line. Um, our experience at Make, so I moved from uh, Sydney and a Bible college, 2,000 Ks up to Mackay. I did the parachute in thing with uh, Jail and my wife and our three kids at the time. Um, we, we had hopes on pa- paper. We were hoping for after three years that we might have seen 100 people, even 150 people coming along after three years. That was, that was the goal that we put to the initial launch team. Um, after two and a half years of being up there in Mackay, we were doing a bit of an evaluation process. We had 30 people coming along on an average Sunday. That's where we're at. And I don't kind of want to overstate it, but Jim, you know, there's a fair bit to process in that as the, the church planner. There's a fair bit for particularly the people who are there with us from the beginning in that church plant. Also just trying to explain that to our external partners, those who are praying for us and also supporting us financially. They were very good about it, but there, there was processing in that. Uh, we did have to ask the question, should we even keep going? Um, and it was helpful to have, we were assigned through Geneva, a, a church planning mentor, um, Archie Poulos. He helped us to kind of go through the numbers and look at who'd come through the door, um, how many non-Christians had come through the door, how many people had stuck with us uh, at church. Uh, and, and we actually, as we reflected on that thought, we're actually not doing too bad in our context, um, in, in what's happening in our place and, and how things had gone for us. But it did mean we had to massively scale back the expectations. So next three years, um, we decided to shoot for uh, 50 adults, 25 kids. That was the numbers we put on paper. Um, and it's just been a heaps different experience. We're coming to the end of that, so we're in our sort of, what is it? It'll be six years by the end of this year that we've been in town. Um, do you mean, it's, it's not been crazy growth, but do you mean the adult numbers, we're hoping for 50, we're at 45. We're, we're getting pretty close, and that's just been a really uh, healthy thing for us. It's been helpful thinking through questions about uh, things like leadership team, who would be on the leadership team, what would that even look like for us as a church growing at that rate, uh, questions about second worker, second service, um, even being a church planning church, what does that look like when you're a church growing at the rate that we were growing? Um, and, and I guess just to explain that, like I'm not saying that you don't trust God for big things, I'm all for that, uh, Jesus is going to build his church and we trust that as we preach the word he will uh, gather people to himself, um, all for being optimistic and kind of setting a trajectory. I think it was helpful having those goals that helped people to see where it was that we were hoping to head, um, but I think it's just that realistic timing that I, I'm thinking through and reflecting on and I think would have been more helpful for me as a planner, not to be kind of discouraged unnecessarily. There was lots to give thanks for, um, for the team and just the momentum. I mean, if you scale back the goals and you actually hit the goals, that's really encouraging for the team, whereas if you shoot massively high and you don't hit it, it's like, well, 
let's just give up. But that's sort of the, the vibe on the team and I think also for the external partners signing up. Uh, the LifeWay research, I mean, it showed the same sort of thing, 110 Australian church plants. Uh, those church planters who had more realistic expectations, they actually saw greater growth. That's just the statistics of it. Um, and so I guess uh, really I'm just saying that there's more data out there now as well. I'm just urging you to make the most of that. Uh, actually spend some time talking to others who are heading to a similar context to you, who may be wider, a bit like you. Uh, talk that through with a mentor, get their thoughts and reflections on it. And, and even if you're not kind of the, the goals on paper kind of person, I imagine we all have that kind of vibe or that uh, thought of where things might be going. Uh, it's worth being realistic about that for yourself, for the team and for the external partners. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's good. Totally. Yeah. So that is a really helpful word, isn't it? To have realistic expectations um, about what you can hope and, and plan for growth-wise, particularly when you're heading into hard regions. You'd say the whole of Australia is a very hard region. The soil's hard in Australia, but particularly when you go to regional areas. So my question for you, Jai, you know, over the last how many years has it been? So we're in our sixth year this year. Over these six years, as you found yourself... Um, you know, feeling down that the growth rate has been so slow. How have you kept your head together? How have you kept your heart together? Um, how, how have you survived? How have you done it? Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah man, it's all the basic stuff of pressing into God and his word and prayer. Uh, I think beyond that, like, I've had a lot of mentor support and that's been huge for me, just even, do you mean, like the conversation with Archie. I've actually been pretty greedy for mentors, which I think has been really helpful for us, just that I'm so regional from or, or far away from others who are doing the same sort of work. So that's just been really helpful, having others to encourage you to keep on going and, yeah, you're actually doing a good job. So, yeah, it's been good. Good. Now, Jason Budden is going to pray for Jai and um, Make Church. So let's let's pray for you guys. We get the mic over there to Jason. Thanks, mate. Go yeah, let's it. pray, guys. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work Mackay, Jai, and Jay Allen are doing. Heavenly Father, we know that sometimes it's uh, it's just hard to keep ploughing, hard to push through that tough, uh, rocky, and just yeah, solid soil. But Father God, I pray that uh, as these guys just push closer into you, that you'll just clarify the vision you have for that area, that you'll give them hope and real joy in the, in the trial, Father, that you'll, ex- you'll give them such a, a wonderful sense of love for the people in their church plant, like was preached about before, Lord, just why are they doing it, Lord, and give them a real clarity of vision, Father, we pray. Would you answer the whys? Would you answer the, the hows? Would you answer the what now, Jesus? Would you be the forefront of their thoughts? Would you be the, the one that they turn to every day for guidance and, and, and for a real sense of joy in their lives, Father God? Thank you for the work that they're doing. Thank you for the ministry that they're pouring into that place. I pray for much fruit, Lord Jesus. Yes, yeah, start slow, but Father, would you continually grow them to be people who adore you, worship you, and glorify your holy and magnificent name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 That's good. So, friends, that's, that's Jason Budden from Central Church, Ipswich. Is that right, mate? Got that right? That's Jason. Thanks, mate. That's awesome. Um, next is Richard Wilson. Um, and Richard Wilson is from, I'll let you tell us all about it, but um, Valley Church, yeah? Yeah, Valley Presbyterian Church in Doreen. There we are. That was our fifth birthday um, two weeks ago. Uh, and the story is there. Look at all those kids. <laughs> They seem to build a new high school or a new school in Doreen about once a year. 
um, and uh, we've had enormous growth. But let me tell you a bit about, um, I was asked the same question, what would I do differently? Um, May is a miserable month in Melbourne. <laughs> do not plant a church in Melbourne in May. That's when we kicked off. <laughs> we, um, coming to Brisbane for May, um, I had to hunt around the back of my cupboard to find shorts because it's that long since I've worn them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, you get to May and it just gets cold and dark and uh, it's harder to do ministry and even your cleanest people are kind of saying to you, well, they're getting sick or they're struggling or they're not turning up. And um, we heard the story of five people in church. I, I, my, my memory is the middle of July and um, I'm the band, right, and my son and daughter... And, uh, and I said, let's stand and sing. And the kids' church had gone out and two people stood. And that was pretty depressing. <laughs> my, my launch team, my core team was uh, 12 and four of them were my kids. And uh, we met in the lounge room till Easter. Uh, and there's these like, kind of denominational forces because they're paying my bill, right? Uh, and saying, come on, when are you going to get started? And uh, so, so we launched off in May. I, what I wish I'd done differently is we, we should have had a, a monthly preview service during winter uh, until the weather warmed up and you hit spring and people are kind of smiling again and you're through that dark, miserable Melbourne uh, and it's kind of joyful again. What else would I do? Um, I'd do a bit more research, actually, in our suburbs. So I turned up, um, I'd been working for 14 years at Wagga and I really didn't know anybody in Doreen. Um, I wish I had uh, tried... The, the reality is Doreen grew from 3,000 to 20,000 uh, in about the three or four years before I arrived. And then from 2011 to now, it's grown 20,000 to 40,000. So it's just rapid growth. And everybody's new. Nobody knows anybody. Trying to find anyone who's kind of able to talk to, even if I just found the local clergy, uh, would have been a big help just to say, hey, what have you been doing? Uh, what's working? And so on. Uh, Wagga and Doreen are two very different places. I'd definitely start with a bigger core team. Uh, core team of 12 is really small and hard work, but there's not much I could do about that. I grabbed all I could find. I would have worked harder at thinking through the internal structures and processes of the church during that first year. Uh, I wish I'd invested more time into that when we were pretty small and I had a little bit more time. Um, Steve Cree wrote down some ministry papers, which I discovered just last year, which were actually really helpful in just thinking about teaching and training up your people to, um, uh, about how you want things to do. There's a lot of it kind of flooding around in my head, but it wasn't written down. So having those things in place, because once the growth started, uh, you went from wishing anyone was here to suddenly it, it grew quite rapidly. Um, I would have taught less scripture in school. Now, that sounds a bit strange, but because we didn't know many people and there were lots of opportunities to teach scripture in school, we invested a fair bit into that. Uh, we didn't see a single bit of fruit. No one knew, uh, no visible fruit. I'm sure the Lord was doing things, but no visible fruit from teaching CRE. I do wish we'd thought a bit more about a model of church. So the model of church I, I arrived with was basically Sunday morning service and growth groups and lots of one-on-ones. That was kind of my model. I wish I'd thought a bit more about either having something like uh, the purpose-driven model or the connect, grow, serve model because uh, the, the traditional you know, public service um, growth groups, one-to-one, that works great until you hit about 100. Once you move past 100, uh, the wheels can start to fall off or at least get pretty wobbly. Uh, and if we'd thought a bit more about that, uh, it would have been a lot less painful as we grew 
uh, to get through those those difficult stages and, and the kind of internal grief that went along the way. I also would have um, implemented one of those software church community builder programs, something like Elvento, uh, which we're using now. Though I know there's a couple of other good ones around, but I would have used that from the start. So I would have got the, the purpose-driven model from the start. I would have got Elvento going in from the start. Um, and that would have made that the, the building of our ministry teams would have just been so much more effective along the way uh, and would have caused us, spared us a bit of grief. But when you're, you're small, you're starting, everyone kind of does everything, but all of a sudden you really do need your teams. Uh, I would have worked harder and smarter with social media. I've, my, my new assistant Luke's been helping with this, but we've, we've done, I think we've done better with social media. And I think that's actually quite a helpful way of building your profile in the community. It, it's so easily misused and you can, uh, if you use it for kind of have your theological debates with your mates around the, the countryside, uh, that's nice, but it's not going to build your church. Um, and uh, MTS apprentices, I had two really lovely godly people came and uh, worked with me as apprentices, which was a great joy. I'm not sure if I necessarily used them the right way, but partly it was because we just didn't have many contacts. Uh, so they helped lead our youth group, our youth group which was, uh, began with my two kids, uh, two leaders, two kids. <laughs> we slowly built that. We also taught a fair amount of CRE. But I think, again, in retrospect, I would have worked, probably would not have started a youth group probably till the fourth year, looking back. And, uh, and I would have encouraged the youth that we had to actually train them and teach them to teach the children in the Sunday school in the kids' church, that's a great way to disciple your teenagers is to teach them to teach the next generation down. So I wish I'd done that. Um, uh, that that's a very powerful tool. I think that's about, that's about it, Tim, for um, what I've learned Let's and what Richard I do differently. Give Richard some love. <laughs> now, that's a, that's a seriously long list of things I wish I'd done differently. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> Bless you for your honesty, mate. Now, when we were chatting before, you mentioned to me um, you were, something you were really trying, working hard to do now, which you'd wish you'd done earlier was, which I want to ask another question about. You wished instead of just starting rosters, you'd started teams. Because you're trying to now move from rosters to teams. Can you tell us the difference between a roster and a team and why teams are so much better than rosters? Yeah, rosters really is it's very pastor-centred. So it's about um, you're responsible for organising the roster. If someone can't attend the roster, they ring you and say, I can't be there this Sunday, and then it's your issue to deal with. When you have teams, uh, you, you have a group of people who are responsible for an area, and they together work out... So, for example, music. We have two music teams now. And if one of them's away, they don't ring me. They ring their team leader and say, I can't make it, and they organise amongst themselves how to fill that space. Or in the kids' church, we have we've got five different levels of kids' church now and each one of those has a team. And so if one of them's away, they don't ring me, they ring the head of that team and they organise it amongst themselves to replace that person uh, and, and it just works so much better. Awesome, awesome. If you haven't heard that before, make sure you dig into some more of that. That's certainly been our transition for the last bunch of years to be moving from rosters to team and it's made a huge difference in the lives of people that they're discipled in Christ and take responsibility for their jobs and um, the work that can get done. That's awesome. Now we're going to pray for Richard and Liam is going to pray. So um, just grab that mic. Liam's at Lake Mac Church. Go for it, buddy. Uh, Father God, we uh, praise you and thank you for the work you're doing at Valley Church. Thank you for Richard and Bron and uh, the way that you've moved them to uproot their lives and then it lives their kids to start a new work in this growth corridor. 
we want to thank you and praise you for the tens of thousands of new people who have moved into that suburb and we pray that you'd be working in their hearts. Uh, thank you for all the lessons that they've learned over these years. Thank you for helping them persevere through the hard work and the cold winter months of Melbourne. Uh, and thank you that we can see such a wonderful photo now of uh, a family, our family, celebrating, uh, celebrating you down there. So we pray for many more years of faithful service and great growth. Pray that these lessons will be implemented and that, yeah, the, the growth of your kingdom will grow in uh, as many tens of thousands as might come into that area. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Last but not least, Matt Lehman, who's up from Adelaide, part of the Trinity Network. Is that what you'd say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Well, you say what you'd say. and, uh, and uh... <laughs> No worries. Uh, our church started a little differently with a number of sort of uh, one-off and non-repeatable blessings, really, in terms of uh, Trinity City, uh, sort of the biggest evangelical Anglican church in Adelaide, uh, losing one of its facilities and having to go from five services on a Sunday to four, everyone not being out of fit, you need to take a big chunk of people out so we can fit in church and have room for growth. So we started with uh, about 120 people uh, on the roll, sort of 90, sort of 100 uh, on a Sunday about three and a half years ago and have grown from there. So my workshop tomorrow is, you know, lessons learnt growing from 100 to 300 because I've got nothing to tell you, I'm under 100. Um, uh, basically, we do actually have people in our church um, <laughs> I didn't send that photo through, uh, but uh, we meet in an RSL hall, so we also have people and uh, pokies and a bar um, uh, as well. Uh, probably in terms of things I would have done differently, I'm trying to pick a slightly more unusual one, uh, um, approach uh, from someone. I think I wish someone had told me and we'd put a lot more effort pre-planning in what to do uh, to disciple the de-churched. We had a lot of, you know, I've heard lots of podcasts and thoughts and read lots of books on evangelism and what to do with people wanting to come investigating Jesus. We've got a, a plan for how to sort of drive them and share the gospel with them and uh, as people become converted to try and lead them through to maturity. But probably a little over half our growth has come from the de-churched um, sort of people. So, and people would sort of say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I go to church maybe, you know, four times a year and uh, I like you guys more than the church I've been uh, going to, uh, but not necessarily, you know, uh, many you wouldn't exactly know whether they get the gospel because I think it's pretty hard to get to the, hard to really get the gospel and love Jesus and go to church four times a year. But, you know, they don't want to go to life course or um, things like that. So we've really been making up on the fly how to try and disciple and uh, mature people and, and share the gospel with people who sort of tick the box on the census, yes, uh, I'm a Christian. So I would have loved to have a bit more uh, thought and planning and I'd, we really haven't sorted it out and we're still making it up as we go. So uh, if, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, over the conference. Uh, something else uh, I wish I had straight and it's more of a theological reflection is really um, making a very simple error in misunderstanding uh, Jesus' uh, lordship and headship over the church. So 1 Peter 5 says uh, a lot about that, about the chief shepherd and writing to the elders on, on what to do. And part of that 1 Peter 5 verse 7 is to cast your anxieties upon Jesus because he cares for you. Now, as we sort of grew and sort of um, 
uh, sort of late last year, we were sort of about the 270 mark on a Sunday. And up until that point, we'd been largely spared any big pastoral issues. And then a whole lot just kind of dropped at once. So sort of trying to... Uh, we've got a wonderful staff team, uh, largely um, trainees, student ministers and things like that. It's only this year we've put on a, a second pastor, uh, Carl, who's with us here. But I was, I was kind of drowning in sort of pastoral issues and, and trying to keep uh, the church running. And I thought I was casting my anxieties on Jesus. But what I was really doing was just listing to him all the things I was really stressed about and saying, Jesus, please help me to, you know, to think quickly and clearly please help me to you know write this sermon uh, without you know bowling off a short run-up um please jesus help me to do this <laughs> uh, you know and um i actually read a, a great book um called time for everything um the name of the authors eluded me someone might uh, shout it out but tim uh, no it's not tim chester uh no anyone from church <laughs> anyone from inner south remember that Matt Fuller, thank you. Uh, yeah, and he had a great little chapter on that. And what I realized I was doing was really just asking, it's simple error but profoundly different, um, asking Jesus to help me to care for all these situations in the church, families pulling them apart. And I actually switched to saying, Jesus, I know you care for these people. These, you're profoundly more care for them more than I do and you actually have power to do something about it. So please, Jesus, you care for these people and use me as you see fit as your servant in how to do that and use our staff team, use our community group leaders, which I know it only sounds like a subtle difference, but you're actually putting the responsibility for people where it should lie in Jesus' hands and asking him to take care of it essentially and use me as your servant to do it. So uh, I found that just wonderfully, like probably one of the most freeing things to discover in ministry, that that's actually how you cast your anxieties on Jesus. And so from about six months ago, feeling about the worst I had in ministry, overseeing a a sort of a church of 270, to now actually feeling about the best I have in ministry um, uh, six months later. So uh, certainly uh, praise God for that. And probably just one more thing. I reckon when we started off, again, unusual sort of church of about 100 um, and we took a lot of really well-trained and mature Christians, tight theology, um, clear idea of what we're going to do. Um, and when we started, I was the sort of only paid employee at the church who brought on a student minister fairly quickly and then uh, an office administrator and things like that. Um, but at the start, there was a great level of sort of lay ownership over things. As we grew and put on a, a kids' worker, uh, another person in MTS and, and things like that, people started looking to the staff team and particularly to me for answers for things and I became a real bottleneck uh, for ministry. I realised that uh, we then uh, last year started uh, a number of teams in evangelism, welcoming and integration and, and pastoral care who now sort of look after those areas. I don't sort of attend those meetings. They know they can grab me when they want me, but sort of started with lay ownership, then became very staff-focused kind of accidentally and not on purpose and then actually handing it back uh, for ministry of people to one another. So, yeah, that'd be a, just a scattergun of a few things I'd do differently. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> So you start with 120 people. Yep. 
we all hate you at that point, <laughs> yeah, right? That's right? I had to preface that. It's really nothing to do with me and all to do with God's God. Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. the yeah, that's yeah. a remarkable situation. And then within a couple of years, you go from 120 to 300 or We're 300. A bit over 300 at the moment. Yep. Okay, and a good chunk of that. Did you say 50 percent of that growth was de-churched? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and when you say de-churched, um, can you define de-churched again for us? Well, um, people. Half of Australia says, oh, I went to a youth group or I'm a Christian or I used to go to this church and I just stopped going. Mm-hmm. Most of the de-church, I would say, that come to... Like, de-church, I'm thinking people who don't go somewhere regularly have a mm-hmm. home church mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. So they might have a church they visit a few times a year. Uh, um, yep. So what do you think it was about you, or sorry, your ministry, that was drawing such a high percentage of de-church? What, why were they coming? What were they seeing? What did they like? Well, we, we tried to set up the most welcoming church we could think of for the sake of people who don't know Jesus. And, and then, a lot of, and, you know, we wanted people to be sort of thinking this is sort of, you know, fairly relaxed, kind of normal as we feel. And what stands out about us is not kind of what we do sort of on a Sunday or some strange rituals and customs. This feels very welcoming, loving, uh, sort of friendly. But what we wanted to stand out was our love for Jesus and that to be a very... Uh, sort of real and profound thing uh, that mm. shapes us. Um, mm. And really, um, it, um, just always just trying to hold up that plumb line of Scripture of what you're doing as a church mm. um, to how it, how we've been instructed to do it. And the main ministry of the church is word ministry and prayer. A lot of people uh, were coming to us really from uh, churches that didn't do word ministry well. So, mm-hmm. you know, we find it a lot, say, in the school environment, for example, the... You know, lots of lovely people there, but the the pastor that looks after the church at the school will get up on sports day and give us a sermon on, you know, physical training is of some value. So, you know, from, <laughs> we should all then encourage each other and, mm. you know, really get on. And people mm. have a very low... People just think that's what church and being a Christian is, just picking a verse mm. from somewhere and randomly and completely inappropriately applying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come to us and then hear sort of, you know more meaty sermons mm-hmm. on whole books of the Bible. and um, It's really uh, just sort of, I guess, meaty word ministry and, and prayer, like nothing um, sort of tricky about it, mm-hmm. but that actually changes people. Because we, we find it really frustrating because all these people sort of come in, we had to go from one to two services. Uh, you know, our kids sort of grew from 30 to 120 on a Sunday, so you're always recruiting leaders. But there's a huge lag time on a de-church person to be a producer of ministry, not a consumer. So it's like, oh, well, I'm here, and we're, we're glad to have you here, and you've got your six kids filling up our youth ministry, and we, you, know, you know, kids ministry, and we've got to go from one to two services, but you've got no more people around to do it. Um, whereas new converts are... That's a much shorter road. They're on fire for things. Yes, of course I'm out for kids' ministry. You know, can mm. I do kids? Th- you know, the, mm. um, it's a very different thing. So I reckon if someone had given me a bit more of a heads up on ministering to de-churched, I think we could have avoided a few. So pitfalls. the kind of growth that you're getting does determine the kind of ministry you need to be offering. Yeah. Yeah. Now you said before you, you weren't sure what to do, and you're still not sure how best to get de-churched people. Like, are you, are you just being humble there, or do you really not have a strategy? <laughs> like, uh, no, um, well, I, I've, I've, I thought there would be an answer to that question that someone could give me, but I, I think it is, it's only sustained word ministry and prayer that actually changes people. I, I thought you could write the perfect vision statement or a letter to your congregation, and mm. here's where we're going and what we're doing, mm. but it's really only word ministry and prayer that changes people. So it's great when you see someone four times a year come to church and then 
18 months later they're there nine times out of ten and serving mm. and, and growing and things mm. like that. But there's still some people that are still there, you know, four times a year and we're, they've just changed churches which they do that. And because mm. they're not there hearing word ministry and prayer regularly, mm. you just can't write a letter or cast a vision that will change people. Good, good, mm. good. Now we've got a great pool of wisdom right here. So look, I'd love to hear some answers on that. Seriously, if you're sitting there thinking, no, 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 I, I've... I've not I've got the answer, but I've got something that I'd like to contribute to this discussion. We've had success at actually discipling de-churched people, and I'd really like to share it right now. So we'll just pause for a minute, and um, seriously, give us a wave if there's something you can contribute to this discussion, because it's... Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, Mikey. save us. Yeah, we'll take that over Just making an observation about newcomers' nights. There seems to be one version which is just here's what our church believes and here's what we do, sort of one session. Um, but I know some of our churches do multiple sessions and it really is starting to do that. It's sort of a, almost like a six-week, here's what Christians really believe and what Christian church life is like. So I guess that's, that's one structure that it's not patronising to invite them to as well. You can ask Dan Godden about his, uh, the way he does membership. Um, he does that really well. I went along to their third night and, and they do that really well. That's good. So a membership course or a newcomer's course that really outlines. Yep. I remember Martin Morgan who started um, Orange Evangelical. Uh, sounded a little bit similar in terms of lots of de-church people coming. He, he felt he had to invest a lot in that first year theologically. So he, he uh, got those early members who were de-churched in his lounge room for a whole year just working through one of those basic... Um, theology books, I think it, I forget what it's called now. Um, Bible studies, Trellis not Trellis and Vine, no. <laughs> they would, they would have. <laughs> it's easier now, yes, sure. Um, so he invested a lot theologically because they all came with different views of baptism and and church polity and all the things that were going to divide, um, and it really had a solidifying effect on them. Um, so that's not my story. That's Martin Morgan. Some of you don't know him. I think Clay- Clayton Fop has got something on Amazon. I think they did 18 Bible studies. Yeah, lessons for new churches. We, yeah, we've tried that. It's, it's good stuff if you can get people to do it. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> 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 but a lot of people come on four times a year. That you know, inviting them to four, six weeks or something. It's, it, it, yeah. So, yeah. That's good. That's helpful. Let's um, let's um, pray for Matt and the work there. And we've got. Um, Todd Hall. There he is. Uh, Father, thank you that we can uh, pray for um, um, Matt today. forgot his name. Well, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the privilege that we've been reminded by Toby today that it's a stunning thing that uh, Jesus walks amongst his candlesticks, amongst his church, and that we know that Jesus, you're right here in this room right now. And not a word escapes you and not a heart escapes you this time and not a desire from their hearts escapes you as well. And we thank you for the privilege that we can to pray for Matt. And we pray for Matt, Lord, as he uh, works in Adelaide. We pray for this uh, challenge we've just been talking about um, again with the D-Church. Uh, Holy Spirit, we would ask and pray that you give Matt discernment. We pray you give him wisdom. We pray you give him guidance and direction as he seeks to open up the hearts of these ones who have a perhaps a cultural Christianity but not a true heartfelt uh, with the Gospels bitten into their hearts and they've been smitten by Christ. So Lord, we pray today that you'll just uh, give inspiration 
give wisdom to Matt as he looks to uh, work his way through that and to open up the hearts of these uh, cultural Christians so they truly become followers of Jesus, filled with the love of Christ in their hearts, where they really want to sow into the church and commit to the community and see the gospel grow, not only in their own hearts, but in the community that they live in. Father, we pray for your uh, good work to take place there, and we pray, Lord, that things will uh, grow and flourish uh, with Matt and with that Trinity Church there in Adelaide. Father, we ask that, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.